Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Dennis Vardy called Heaven on Earth, and it speaks about how over and over again throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus introduces parables with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what does the expression kingdom of heaven mean? How is it relevant to our lives today? And what do the parables tell us about living a life relevant to the kingdom of heaven? Find out and enjoy today's message. There are so many things that bring joy and, and happiness into our life. Um, quite a broad spectrum. Uh, relationships are probably very high on, on that spectrum, both family and friends. Um, that's, a, you know, that's a big part of what brings joy and happiness in our lives. Um, stuff, people buy stuff and they're happy about it. Um, you know, some people can, you know, keep their smile on for a month over a new pair of shoes. I mean, just, it's just the way it is. Uh, for some people, experiences are a big part of what brings joy and happiness in their life. They get to travel, they get to do something and enjoy that. You know, then there's people that uh, live in the joy of successes that they have, whether that's at work or hobbies or whatever it may be. But all of these things that we have in life bring a measure of joy. They bring a measure of happiness. But in this parable that we're going to look at today, Jesus talks about a particular dynamic of joy in our life that is far-reaching and lasting beyond any other source of joy or happiness that will actually carry on into eternity. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start reading from verse 14. It is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. I'll just pause there and say, when it says talents, it's actually referring to a sum of money. So it's not saying, okay, this guy's going to get to play the piano, the violin, the guitar, the, you, the gazoo, okay? No, that's not what it's about. It's not talking about talents in the sense that we use the word. It's talking about money. So one, he gives five talents to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. The one who had received five talents immediately went and did business with them and earned five more. In the same way, the one who had received two talents uh, went away and, and did business with them, and he earns two more. But the one who had one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Now, the one who had received one talent came up also and said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, so I went and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you still have what is yours. But the master answered and said, you worthless, lazy slave. Did you know I that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received the money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, 
more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Now, this parable is a picture of how we are to manage our life, how, how life is to be carried out. Now, I just want to bring out some observations as we kind of warm this thing up and get going into it. First of all, everybody got according to their ability. So here's what we know. First of all, everybody got something. In other words, it didn't come from you. It came from God. The talents, the abilities, the capacity that you have in your life is a gift from God. However, God has not put too much on you. Amen. God has not given you too much to handle. He's not overloaded you with gifts. He's not overloaded you with abilities. He's also not underdone it either. He's given to you according to your ability. He's not put too much responsibility on you to carry either. Because they all got according to their ability, it speaks to something else, and that is this. No one was expected to perform or manage somebody else's lot in life. You're only responsible for your lot that you got according to your ability. Everyone got a different amount, but everyone had the same opportunity to receive the same reward. Every life is different. Every life in this place is different. We are not at the same place. We're all living on the same planet. We happen to be living in the same city, but we're not at the same place. We don't all get the same giftings. We don't all come out of the same backgrounds of life uh, that we build our lives on. But here's what we do get that is similar, and that is this. We get the same opportunity. We get that same opportunity to pursue productivity or do nothing, to be faithful or to be slothful, to be fruitful or to be wasteful. And faithfulness with what God has called you to, uh, to do brings the same reward as others who are faithful with what God has called them to. In other words, the issue wasn't, do you have five, do you have two, do you have one? That was not the issue. The issue is, are you faithful with what God has given you to be fruitful with it? And if you are, the reward is the same. The context of our lives is that of being stewards of what ultimately belongs to God. This, this is very, very important to, um, not just to the parable, but to us to understand because this is an absolute differential between living in the kingdom of God, living as a believer, living as a Christ follower, and living as though it doesn't, I don't even care if God exists. I mean, just living in the world, you know, completely disconnected and maybe even unaware of God's presence. But the context of our life is that of being stewards of what ultimately belongs to God. In 1965, a band called The Animals, I heard one person give a yoo-hoo to that, sang a song titled, It's My Life, with lyrics like this, it's my life, I'll do what I want, it's my mind, and I'll think what I want. Then in 2000, Bon Jovi sang, It's My Life, same title, different song, with lyrics, it's my life, it's now or never, it ain't gonna I ain't gonna live forever. I just wanna live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. For all the millennials, you can Google that later and find out what that's all about. I just wanna live while I'm alive. It's my life. Listen, the sentiment of both of these songs is identical. 
It's this notion that says, well, we've got one life to live. It's your life. Do what you want with it. You get to make the rules. Nobody should tell you what to do. You exercise your independence. It's your life. The kingdom of God perspective, though, about life isn't that I'm this owner with absolute independence and responsibility to no one, but rather that I actually own the responsibility as a steward of the life that God gave me. That's very different than a perspective that says, it's my life, I'll do what I want, think what I want. I own the responsibility for the life that God gave me. You own the responsibility for the life God gave you. Everything I have and you have belongs to God. Life itself is a gift from God. Stewardship views all that you have in life as what God has entrusted to you that ultimately is from him. Stewardship views your life as a function of taking care of what ultimately doesn't belong to you. You don't get to keep it. I've done lots of funerals. There's no U-Hauls full of stuff. You know, none of that. It all stays here. That's the way it is. Stewardship views your life as a function of taking care of what ultimately doesn't belong to you, but it belongs to God and was given to you to take care of for a season of time. Stewardship stewardship understands, well, you don't want to mess up on that word. You know what I mean? Stewardship understands that you are accountable to God for what you do with what he gave you. The story, the parable Jesus shares says that the master came and settled accounts. In other words, he came and and offered an accountability to those who had, had been given those talents. Hey, what did you do with the five? What did you do with the two and the one? If I'm a, a steward of what belongs to someone else, I don't get to set the terms on how it gets handled. You know, if it, when my kids were getting old enough to drive cars and uh, didn't have their own car, wanted to borrow my car, with much prayer, I would give them the keys. But when I gave them the keys, I also gave them my expectations. This is how I want it driven. This is when I want it back. This is my preferred condition that it would come back in. You know, all of those kinds of things, right? Well, that's the way it is with our life. That's the way it is when we understand that we are stewards. If I'm a steward of what belongs to someone else, I don't get to set the terms on how it's handled. We are a steward of what ultimately belongs to God. God sets the terms. As a steward, my goal is that the one who shared it with me must be pleased with what I've done with it. It only makes sense, doesn't it? If you lend something of yours to someone else, you set expectations, when it comes back, you wanna be happy with how it was handled. Well, it's the same way with our life and our relationship with God. This is the fundamental driving attitude of the kingdom of God. The end goal of your life, the end goal of my life, is that the master is satisfied with what we have done with what God gave us. That's why in Matthew 25, 21, and 23, he gives the same response to the one with five as the one with two when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the ultimate goal of life. This is the ultimate happiness of life. What makes God happy ultimately makes you happy. After this, the scripture says this, enter into the joy of your master. 
Enter into the joy of your master. The ultimate joy and happiness in life is knowing that you've lived a life that is pleasing to God and that you've lived out the purpose that God has placed on your life to live. Life goes off the rails when we lose sight of the fact that we are stewards of what ultimately belongs to God. When we stop seeing our lives as being responsible for what belongs to God, the default is that we become God in our own worlds. And now we set the agenda. We determine the priorities. We live for what we can get out of this world. Uh, Pleasing God isn't even on the radar. We're only accountable then to ourselves. Life becomes about my kingdom, not thy kingdom. Our faith in God's promises is weak, if not inactive. We become the center of our purpose. And, And when we are called to live for a higher purpose, We're called to live for a higher purpose. You see, ultimately, your joy becomes one where you might uh, say you believe in Jesus, but you don't really live under the lordship of Jesus. That's what your life becomes if if you don't position yourself with the heart of a steward, a heart of stewardship. Your faith has been reduced to a mental acknowledgement of Jesus without producing the fruit of actually following him out of a heart of a steward living to fulfill a purpose that was given to you by God and living to fulfill a purpose over choosing just to live for pleasure. Now, here's a thought about this. Which ones worked harder, five, two, or one? Well, clearly it was the five and the two that worked the hardest. The Bible says that they went and did business and then they end up doubling what they had. The one stayed home, watched Netflix, played on his Game Boy and ate Doritos and did nothing with what was given to him. You know, the reason this is important is because our Western culture values comfort and fun to such a degree that can actually keep you from the hard work and the pain it can take to bring the best rewards out of living your life for the purposes of God. The path to well done, good and faithful servant may have times of discomfort, pain, inconvenience, long-suffering. However, if you view all of those things I just listed as the very things you need to avoid in life, you might also avoid the fulfillment of your purpose and miss your target with your life. Then he brings these concluding comments when he says, to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. It's speaking to those who have what? Have taken action, have acted as stewards, have been responsible with what responsibility was given to them. To everyone who has, more will be given. Pursuing your God-ordained potential in life is your greatest opportunity for joy. You know, we live in a world that says your greatest joy is gonna be if you own this, if you travel here, if you experience that, if you hang out with with these people, if you could have this life, all of these different things. Listen, those things can have a a moment of happiness, but pursuing your God-ordained potential in life is your greatest opportunity and joy. The fact that you can fulfill your life, come to the end of your life and say, I ran my race, I completed what I was supposed to do. That's a joy that goes with you into eternity. When it comes to discovering your abilities, There are all kinds of programs, all kinds of tests um, that you can use 
you know, Meyer-Briggs, the DISC system, Enneagram, Strength Finders, Gift Test, uh, Working Genius is a recent one. There's all these things that are out there that are sort of like, well, let's try and figure you out and what, what kind of person you are, what gifts has God placed on your life? Here's what they all have in common. They're all based on your history. They're all based on your history. In other words, you have to actually step out and have done something in order to discover what works for you and what kind of person you are. These tests evaluate your answers to particular questions that reveal your likes, your dislikes, your tendencies, your cautions, your passion, your happiness, your frustration, all of these things. And the only way to know the answers to those things is to have actually stepped out and done something. Have some successes, have some failures, take some risks. So if you want to discover your abilities, if you want to discover what are the talents that God has placed in my life, you have to take action. You know, Peter never walked on water until he got out of the boat. Peter also had never taken up public speaking before preaching at Pentecost. You know, Jesus didn't take Peter and say, come on, let's get you into Toastmasters. I'll get you a few skills here because there's gonna be this really big opportunity coming for you to preach and uh, get your face on TV. No, it's none of that. All of a sudden there was this moment and Peter decides to be bold enough, take a risk, open his mouth and God filled it. Moses didn't have a background in politics or leadership before confronting Pharaoh and leading Israel. Nehemiah was a servant of the king, but he stepped up to rebuild a wall and lead a team in getting it done. Abraham moved out of his mother's basement. I don't know if he really lived there, but it makes the story more fun to follow the dream that God placed on his heart. He had to get away from his family to go get that done. Listen, you discover your abilities through tests, through trial, through error and success, both. You discover that you can walk on water when you actually get out of the boat. Ultimately, you have to take a risk. You don't know what you're really capable of until you put it to the test. You don't know. You have been given abilities on your life. You have skills. You have talents. You have desires. You have motivations. You have a unique personality. However, they are not discovered in a clinic or in a class or on a questionnaire. These things might explain them, give you some language for them and describe them to you, you know, once you get going, but they're actually discovered through risk. You never know unless you risk. You'll never know how good of a writer you are unless you actually risk writing something. You'll never know if you have musical abilities unless you risk being heard. By the way, the love of singing doesn't qualify you it's the audience's love of listening that qualifies you. But I think there's people here that need to step up and risk being heard. Oh, the music team should have went amen on that one. Come on. You never know how handy you are unless you risk building or repairing. You never know your academic abilities unless you risk a mental challenge. You'll never know your artistic abilities unless you risk being creative. You'll never know your capacity to lead unless you risk the response of others when asked to follow you. You will never know what it's like to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus unless you risk rejection. It's about doing what you've never done before. 
It's about following what God has placed in your heart. It's about turning off the reasons in your head and your fears and starting with a step, not a leap, but a step. It's about taking action. But the context of that action will be one of risk. Listen, the discovery of your God-given potential happens in the context of risk. That's just the way it is. It happens in the context of risk. Peter took a risk when he stepped out of that boat. Peter took a risk when he preached his first sermon. He opens his mouth up to a crowd. Evidently, it was a crowd. Look how many got saved that first day. Paul took a risk when he reached out to the other disciples after his conversion. Abraham took a risk when he left home under God's direction, going where he'd never been before. Moses took a risk when he goes and confronts Pharaoh to release you know, um, Israel from Egypt. The discovery of your God-given potential happens in the context of risk. That's how it happens. So how do you know when you should take a risk? How do you know when you should take a risk? It's a good question. And I'm, I'm gonna give you a little bit of some things to think about. And I'm sure there's other things that should be taken into account, but this will at least get us started. If the regret of never trying is more painful than the pain of trying and failing, take a risk. If the regret of never trying is more painful than the pain of trying and failing, take a risk. This is the story of Esther. Her uncle Mordecai is, is hated by Haman who sets in motion a plan to wipe out Israel and to hang Mordecai in the process. Esther is the queen who can expose this plan to the king, but in doing so, she's taking a risk that, first of all, she might be rejected by the king when she comes into his presence. That could actually cost her her life. And second of all, the king may not hear her. Her uncle Mordecai, though, addresses uh, her with the following in Esther chapter four and verse 13. It says, then Mordecai <clears throat> told them to, to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. What he's saying is this. If you do nothing, we know the worst will happen. If you just keep quiet, if you stay fearful of going to talk to the king, if you do nothing, the worst will happen. If she stepped up and she failed, she could at least know that she tried. At least she took the risk of trying to avert this terrible thing. The risk of taking action made way more sense than doing nothing. The pain of doing nothing can be way worse than the pain of taking a risk and failing. In this way, it's a calculated risk. We calculated the potential pain of both inaction and then taking action and decided, I'd sooner take action. I'd sooner do something. And, and this sometimes is how it works out in our, in our lives. Sometimes even in our walk with God, God can put something in your heart where it's like, if, if I don't do this, if I don't at least try this, I'm gonna feel bad that I didn't respond. I'm gonna feel bad that I didn't trust what I believe the Holy Spirit put in my heart to do. And this leads us to the next point. And that is this, that risk means acting in faith. Risk means acting in faith. Risk and faith are like cousins. They're closely related. Uh, risk is another way of saying act in faith. 
You know, we don't try things, though, just to try them. This isn't foolishness. This isn't just like, oh, we'll just throw it out there, see what sticks. There's motivation. There's confidence. There's expectation. There's wisdom. There's a sense of God is directing. God is leading. Uh, there's, there's timing. There's all these different factors that go in there that make us feel like, I think I should take a step. Jonathan is a great example of this. I love the story out of Jonathan's life where it says Jonathan was wanting to drive out the Philistine armies who were enemies of Israel. So this is, this is his plan. But he decides to do this on, and take it into his own hands. So he, he rallies his armor bearer and says, you know, let's, let's go and do this. 1 Samuel 14 and verse six gives the description. It says this, then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will work for us because the Lord is not limited to save by many or by few. I've heard lots of sermons about the by many or by few. You know, God can do great things. Nothing is impossible to God. He's not limited by the size of what you have. I've heard lots on that, but that's not my focus today. Here's what I want to focus on. I love this little phrase. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. Isn't that unbelievable? Think about that. I love the uncertainty of that statement. It's this, we're gonna do this because maybe God will show up and it'll work. That's what he's saying. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. We're gonna risk our lives. Just the two of us against a garrison, against this, this large group of people. And he's not standing there saying, I have a dream or an angel visited me, or the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart during a special song and worship on Sunday, or a guest speaker pointed me out and gave me a prophetic word. All he says is, you know, perhaps the Lord's in on this idea. I think there are times when we, what we want is so much certainty that no risk and no faith are required by the time that we act. That we're just looking to create so much certainty that we feel safe enough. And, and, and if you do that, you might actually miss an opportunity of time like what Esther had. That was an opportunity of time. That was a moment. This is when, oh, this will come around next year. No, 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 this is now. And, and if you're gonna wait for absolute certainty, you're gonna miss your moment because it's gonna require risk. What we want is it all planned out with total certainty when it comes to the results. We want to eliminate even the possibility of failure of any kind. And, and we want a sign from God. We want a group of friends to affirm us. We want supernatural confirmation. We want an angel to write something on the wall, uh, you know, in our home, like in the book of Daniel. But that's not risk, and it's also not faith. Faith requires risk. Risk requires faith. So what do we have? We have perhaps the Lord. I think that's a great description for being led by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the Lord. I, I, I'm not certain, but I have a sense in my heart that this is what God wants us to do. And, and here's the deal. You start with perhaps the Lord. You take a risk. And then when you get on the other side of this, you look back and you go, that was God. That's how it works. But, but, but you have to act when you're at perhaps the Lord. I can tell you right now, because it's okay to say these things after it's happened, that stepping in faith to buy this land, relocate the church to this building was a perhaps the Lord. That's where it was. Did you think it would work? 
50, 50, maybe 55, 45. It was perhaps the Lord. It was like, it's so on our hearts that to not do it would be wrong. And perhaps it's the Lord, so it's worth the risk. But when you get to the other side, you look back and you can go, man, that was God. That was God. And you know what? There's many things in your life where, where you can feel moved by God to do things, move to have a conversation, move to reach out to somebody, move to start something, move to maybe change the business that you're in, uh, move to do something for your family, whatever the case may be. And all you've got is a perhaps the Lord, and you're gonna have to enter a place of risk before you get to the other side and look back and go, that was God. But if you'll do it, I believe more often than not, you will be able to look back and say, that was God. Listen, we're celebrating our 30th year as a church in existence of ministry. How did this church start? We took a risk. Our whole family moved from Vancouver to here to start a church, and we only knew one international student at the time. We took a risk. How did the church get to this place? Along this church's journey for the last 30 years, there's been one risk after another. It's been buildings. Those have been a risk. It's been outreach. It's been big events. It's been you reaching out to friends and family and saying, you know what? Perhaps the Lord will move in their life if I invite them out to this. Let's take a risk. Let's go for it. And maybe all you've got is an idea and a desire that you believe is from the Lord. And maybe there's just enough confidence to take that action. And so you take a risk on perhaps the Lord. And like Jonathan, you don't see things clearly until you get to the other side of that step. Risk is the path to reward. Risk is the path to reward. You know, taking a risk reveals your abilities as we talked about earlier. Then you can take a calculated risk based on knowing your abilities and realize your greatest reward. The man who got one bag of gold did nothing. No risk, no reward. And faith works just like that. You act in faith with the anticipation of God's promises coming to pass. Then you experience the reward. But you have to act. You have to step out. You have to actually do something. What is that risk that you maybe need to take right now? What is that perhaps the Lord that's in front of you that is your next step? Let's stand as we take time to, to pray. And I do want to pray for you for, for these things. Maybe, maybe what's in front of you is in the area of business and maybe there's something that's coming your way and, and you're sensing that this could be a God thing. You know, maybe that's your, perhaps the Lord. Hey, single guys, <laughs> here's your risk. <laughs> Ask her out for coffee. And all the ladies said, Amen. the lack of enthusiasm is, I'll give you one more shot. All the ladies said, Amen. much better. All the moms of those ladies said, no, we won't go there. <laughs> Take a risk. No, maybe it's something creative, something in the arts, music, writing, whatever it may be. Maybe, maybe it's something in ministry. And um, don't just let it be, you know, I've been thinking about this, so I'm kind of, take a risk. 
You know, maybe it's involved in leadership and serving, getting involved in a team, doing something that'll make a difference in somebody else's life, reaching out to others, starting conversations, serving people just to connect with them and see what God will do. Take a risk. You know, salvation is a risk. And I'll tell you why. Because here's the call of salvation. It's just like when Jesus met his disciples. Here's what he said. I want you to leave everything, come follow me. It's really no different today. You know, it's really no different today because what do we do? We leave a life of living independent from God, doing things our way, acting like we're the owners instead of the stewards. And, go, and Jesus comes to us and says, I want you to leave that way of life. Come follow me. I'll forgive you. You get all of that, but trust me with your future. And if you're willing to trust him with your future, you're ready to get saved. You're ready to become a Christ follower. You're ready to become a Christian. You're ready to pray a prayer to receive his forgiveness and begin a relationship with God to discover his purpose and the talents that he's placed on your world. So I wanna pray for us all if we just bow our heads for this moment. Heavenly Father, I, I pray first of all for everybody here who, who needs to step out, who, who needs to respond to their perhaps the Lord and do something with it. Not be passive, not be fearful, not be hesitant, not research it to death but they just need to act on it. And I, I pray that they would do so, Lord. I pray they would take that step of faith so they could see God act on their behalf. Right now, I wanna pray for those who are needing salvation. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's you in this room. Maybe that's you online. And it's time to become a Christ follower, not just a person who acknowledges Jesus' existence, but says, I'm gonna follow him with all of my heart because that's really what Christianity is. And so if that's where you're at, that's what you're ready to do. Let's pray that together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. You paid for my sins. I ask you to forgive my past. I thank you that you have a future for me. And I trust you with my life and confess you as my Lord. And I'll follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our series, Heaven on Earth. If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or you would like to partner with us financially, visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Come back next week to hear another great message.